This is Island Waves. You're listening to Something to Talk About, a series on everyday people and giving them a voice into their lives. Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward. Welcome to another edition of Something to Talk About here on the Highland Waves podcast channel. And we are here today with Adam Michael James from Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. And a warm welcome to Island Waves in our program, Something to Talk About, Adam. And thank you for taking time out of your day to chat with us uh, today. So let's start retro with learning a little bit about who is Adam Michael James. Thank you. It's great to be here. It is great to have you along. So I'm going to do a little bit of a retro rewind here. And let's start out with learning a little bit about who is Adam Michael James. I ask myself that question every day. No, just kidding. (laughs) Well, I mean, Um, the fact that you're still asking is good. That's true. That's true. I I don't think you should ever stop asking. The the simpler answer is um, I'm a writer. Um, I... I um, obviously I do this podcast. I I um, have written four books about the TV show Bewitched, um, and I've recorded some songs. And you know, I'm just your basic creative type. I'm originally um, from Fairbanks, Alaska, but I've lived on PEI for 16 years. Um, actually, came here um, in part, uh, aside from falling in love with it, to um, put on the uh, the musical The Nine Lives of Ella Montgomery. Yes, Which, um, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> we're going to oh, visit cool, that. Cool, oh, yes. I can't wait to do it. Like I said, this is a bit of a rewind to get us up to 2023 and Adam Michael James and Isle Tunes. So we're we're going to kind of do a a walk along your life's corridor, if that's okay with you. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> you sure you're ready for that? <laughs> well, I think the fact that you were born, I guess, born and raised in Fairbanks, Alaska. In part, until in my part. mom got tired of the snow and then we moved to Hawaii. Wow. And that's the kind of that's the kind of life I've had. <laughs> well, a little bit of privilege it sounds like. I mean, Fairbanks, Alaska is beautiful. And yes, uh, oh, yeah. it is to yeah. snow yeah, and, is. and cold, kind of akin to what we have here or used to. But <laughs> that's a far leap to go to Hawaii. So, you want to talk a little bit about that? I think that's an interesting uh part of your life we'd like to learn about. Well, when you're little, I mean, at, at least for me, you know, you don't think about it. It's just here I'm, I'm, I'm raised in, you know, where it gets dark at two thirty and it's cold and, you know, people in, in kindy, the kids in kindergarten were being asked to compare how cold it was, what negative number it was at our house and stuff like that. And my father was in the airlines. He was a flight engineer, you know, so he got, you know, a, a post in, in Honolulu. And, um, I think my mom, like I said, had something to do with that because she was, she was tired of it being so cold. And, um, it was just, I didn't even give it a thought. It was just, we went to Hawaii. That's, you know, what we did. And it was a, it was a completely different experience, of course, the weather, but also the variety of people. Um, you know, of course in, in Alaska, 
you know, you have, um, I, I don't think we use this word now, but, you know, we had the Eskimo culture and in Hawaii, there's a, a, a you know, the, all the Polynesian population and Asian and in that space, as a, as a Caucasian, you become the minority. And so that it just sort of taught me a lot about, you know, that, uh, there's a bunch of different kind of people in the world. And, uh, you know, it was, it was very, it was a very interesting experience. Well, it sounds like a very rich and fulfilling experience to have as a young person and then take that forward into your teen and then later adult life. How long did you stay in Hawaii and did you go to school there, complete school or what came I'm after that? I'm not complete school. We left, well, my, my parents got divorced, my mom remarried and uh, we left when I was in seventh grade um, and went to Florida. And then we went to California and back to Florida. And by the time I was old enough to decide where I wanted to live, um, I went back to California because I had had friends there. You know, I, I also had aspirations to get into show business. So that was kind of it was kind of perfect to do that. And I was in Los Angeles for about 18 years until 2007, which is when I moved here. So did you go to school for the arts and or for acting or what's your uh, scholastic background there? Um, I, I wanted to, but that wasn't exactly something, you know, that was in the budget. Uh, I did go to broadcasting school, however, uh, and I learned radio and television broadcasting. Was it the CBS and... Radio Broadcasting School? I think oh, had... you have done your research. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, I'm familiar with them. And they were the uh, they were the Cadillac of broadcasting, so to speak, as far as training people to to be in that profession. Yeah. And I didn't find that out until way later. You know, I just, I went because it was, it was close, you know, uh, it was about 50 miles away. And at the time I was, I was, um, you know, just out of high school and working at this drugstore. So I would work at the drugstore from six in the morning till four in the afternoon and then go drive 50 miles to go to school. It's amazing, but we did it. You know, uh, when you think back, I mean, it tires me just to think of the schedule oh, that we kept back in the day. And if you I had am a not passion, a morning person. Yeah. oh, I'm a morning person. But if you have a passion and a love, uh, it just doesn't seem like I said. Just thinking about it these days tires me out to think of the the schedules we kept and I guess the fire in the belly that kept us going. Yeah, and and the fact, at least for me, you know, that I, I was younger. I mean, yeah, that's certainly not a pace I could keep up today. <laughs> Well, I think we're a little, I'd like to say we're a little more focused and a little more disciplined with our energy and our schedules. Maybe that's a, a, a cop out. <laughs> <laughs> I but think for me, it's it a little of both. Yeah. <laughs> it works. So, so you were, okay. So you, that was your journey that brought you forward into adulthood. And so you pursued broadcasting, did you, or, or did you work in radio or television or what's. I worked in radio. I worked at a, um, a little country station in Fort Pierce, Florida, WDKC, 1330, Treasure Coast Country. On the AM band. On the AM band, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like um, on Sundays, we would run the NASCAR races and we had to go back in the in the control room and change out the crystals. That's how old our equipment was. We had a generator that we were, I guess, an all uh, broadcast station in, in the event of disasters. So we had this generator that we all had to learn how to use. I think within the first three days of hiring, that was about the size of a small tractor. But oh, yeah, but I mean, the equipment was good. But yeah, the AM, the AM band radio was was something else at the time. They they tried to actually, I read recently where they, uh, I don't know if it was FCC or CRTC, or maybe just the, the talk out there, 
that they were going to do away with AM radio. And the pushback was so vast from industry, from everyone, because of the necessity of being able to broadcast in the event of an emergency. I don't know if it's the frequency or what it is, but uh, yeah, that was just within the last few months I read. Oh, wow. That there was going to be, yeah, so I think they canceled that plan. I was going to say it was was because, you know, people only had AM radios in their cars, but that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. (laughs) In fact, I had an employer that used to, you know, when he'd do his editorial, he'd tell people, and if you don't have an AM radio that you can listen to us, because we were WGAU uh, AM 1340 and an anchor station in the case of a disaster, uh, he would tell them, you just stop by the radio station. He had a box of AM radios that he would give away uh-huh. to people because he did not believe any household should not should be without a radio. And that's a true nice. story. Yeah. So uh, nice. I guess uh, you might see them on Marketplace as vintage these days. In yeah, AM right. Radio. And, and W, so you, you were involved with American stations too. I was on the East Coast. And then when I did yep. a stint uh, Midwest, I was on the KSP, you know, the, the thought behind the sound. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, ESP. So it was KESP. So everything, nice. yeah, I think it's the, uh, I don't know what the delineator is. It's some river. I think it's the Mississippi. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, thank you. It was, it is the Mississippi. That's the delineator. Anything East of it is W and any, or as I was taught to say, double U. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you can't say W <laughs> on broadcast. That was the first thing uh, one of my mentors, it's not W, it's double Same. Double Same. U. Yeah, I had, I had to train incoming DJs at, at WDKC, and that was one of the first things I taught them. It's like, no, it's not W, sorry. I know. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's really interesting that we both know that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you uh, worked in radio in, don't be offended by it. I, I can say that because I'm familiar with the area, Podunk, Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not offended. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> On an AM station. Now, did you have sunset broadcast so that you can only uh, wor- uh, broadcast to a certain time of day or were you no. all night? Oh yeah. So you were 24 No, we were, we were 24 hours. Yeah. In fact, my first shifts were the overnight shift. The graveyard. And that was That's back. where everybody starts. <laughs> right? And, and that was back when, you know, if you were in the bathroom and your song ran out, you had dead air. You did not have anything covering for you. So there were a few times I hopped back to the microphone, not completely uh, done back up. (laughs) Well, you know, I just made a commentary on that. I played a David Allen Coe song. David Allen Coe, you know, not speaking about the artist, I'm speaking about the times of his songs were always 5.01 plus songs. We used to call them the bathroom songs. Thank you. Yes, I, I, my bathroom song. My bathroom song is "Lion Eyes" from the Eagles because it was or Stairway like six, to Heaven sixteen or something yeah. like that. Or Stairway so, yeah, to we'll Heaven, the longest song. And, yeah. Okay. Now I, I think I have time. Yeah. Um, and that and that one for eating too. I mean, if your shift came in, you know, during six o'clock and you're starving because you've been there for a couple of hours, you're out there. It's, it really does develop bad eating habits. <laughs> it does but it's a wonderful I didn't have I didn't have eating songs I think I just ate like you know in between having to go on the air but uh... or during the news if, if did you have to bring in network news um yeah yeah so network yeah, top news of the hour yeah. yeah top of the hour network news or their specials were always good but anyway but we digress here <laughs> get two radio people together and they don't shut up that's why that yeah, exactly but that's why our employers loved us because we never had dead air agreed 
Agreed. Okay. So moving Never on. Never happened. <laughs> moving on. We got you into Florida. So from Florida. Okay. Let, I'm going to proceed this by asking you this question. What influenced you? What drew you towards the arts and culture sector, specifically broadcasting? What was the magnet? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know that there was one in particular. I, I know it always kind of interested me. Um, when I was a teenager, you know, I would make tapes and, you know, make my own little broadcasts and stuff. Or, or sometimes I would make my own TV shows, <laughs> you know, doing all the voices myself. Uh, and there was, so there was always an interest there. Um, I'm not sure where it comes from, to tell you the truth. But both of my parents had creative aspects to them so i'm pretty sure that i you know i i got that through them but probably it just it just magnified in my personality somewhere i i just i've always been a creative person it isn't just broadcasting i you know obviously i i, I love to write and you know create songs and sometimes videos when i can do that and the you know i i uh, even here i have done you know a lot of videography so as long as i'm doing something creative i i'm i'm happy you're nurturing your soul yeah exactly it's i think it's the most salient part of me i think that's important and then when you find that joy and you can pursue it at times you still have to not quit that day job but as long as you can find that joy and find that time to pursue that joy that's what it's all about, I think. I think that's what keeps us going, and especially if it's in your in your soul and in your system, and it seems to be, and it seems like your folks nurtured that with you. To to an extent, I mean, a lot of a lot of the nurturing of that was was me, but it's just, it's just kind of always who I've been. So um, I have found that um, yeah, it's it's something that that uh, at least for for my mental health shouldn't be shouldn't be quashed to really much of any degree because it's it's very f limiting and frustrating for me to not be able to be creative on a regular basis and i've had lots and lots of day jobs so i know what you're talking about <laughs> oh yes okay we're going to take a quick break here and when we come back we're going to talk about the creation and your vision for the lm montgomery play that you I believe you co-wrote and co-wrote the music or was that all you 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 there was um, another no, fellow I, involved I, I, with I wrote that. the I wrote the book and the lyrics and and um Leo Marchildon wrote the music I mean there was a little bit of an overlap on both sides but but that's basically the, the delineation yeah um no, actually well I mean I I actually wrote the book and the lyrics and Leo Marchildon wrote the music but there was a little bit of an overlap like I made some suggestions about a melody or he maybe made a suggestion about you know a line of dialogue you know but mostly that was the delineation me doing the book and lyrics and he did the music okay we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with adam michael james island wave Something to Talk About is a series on everyday people and giving a voice into their lives. This series is dedicated to James David Withers, friend, mentor, author, and poet. And also to Shirley Eckhart, composer of our theme song, singer-songwriter, and namesake of our program, Something to Talk About.
You're listening to Something to Talk About on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward We're back today with Adam Michael James on something to talk about. Adam, when we left off, we were visiting your life uh, as a child growing up in the States and your stints in uh, radio broadcasting. And eventually, you came northbound to Canada. What was the transitional period there that got you up to Prince Edward Island specifically? Well, um, as the typical... Well, I won't say typical American, but I mean, I didn't know anything about Canada. And my my then partner was from Toronto and he wanted to, you know, come visit the Maritimes because he had been here as a child and, and wanted to see if it still held the same magic for him. So uh, he showed me Anne of Green Gables with Megan Follows. And at first I didn't get it. I was like, who is this whiny kid? Didn't quite get it. And then when we finally did get here and stood on the on the um, shore at Cavendish, I totally got it. And something clicked in me. And then it was at, and it had for him too. And he at that moment he he said, "Why don't we write a musical about you know the other Anne books? Because we knew about the Anne musical, but you know they're all you know as you know." There's seven other and books in a series, and I, I've written you know books and songs, but I'd never is, written a musical. And I thought, can I really do this? And so um, I I started coming up with ideas. And the next year we came back, and that was when we found out about Anne and Gilbert. <laughs> and I was like, oops, okay, I guess we can't do that. And um, we were staying at a at a bed and breakfast, and and the the host suggested that we do a show about. Ella Montgomery herself instead. And at first I didn't want to do that because I had already read, you know, the Anne books and I thought that was more interesting. But as I started reading Maud's journals, I realized that um, her life was actually a lot more interesting. And the, the premise of our show was that her fictional characters would come to life and, you know, interact with her, you know, at pivotal points in her life. And, you know, at, because they're her creations, you know, they, they know what she knows and vice versa. So, so when do you she think she wrote into, them vicariously? The the characters, would you say that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's, I think they're reflections of her or um, parts of her that she wished she could express more fully. And so, and so that's how that happened. And the other thing that, that kind of thrilled me about it was that um, nobody had really done it. There hadn't really been anything about Maud herself. And so I thought, okay, yeah, this is something we're going to go with. So, you know, it, it took a while to write it and, and for Leo uh, to create all the music and, and what have you, but that was what led to us moving up here in 2007 and having a workshop at the Confederation Center. And that's, yeah, that's how that started. And and here we are. Well, yeah, I mean, we've gone our separate ways since then, but um, here I am. But now I believe you also had the consent and blessing of the L.M. Montgomery family and estate now as well 
They knew what you were doing. Yes. And they supported what you were doing. So what was the, what were, what would you say are the three distinctive things that you brought out in your, in your version of of the nine lives of Ellen Montgomery that previously maybe people didn't know, or perhaps they didn't want to know, or the family didn't want them to know? Well, I think um, two of them is, is that she actually um, went through some very dark periods. And I think that when people read her books, you know, that doesn't really show unless you know what to look for. And um, because I read the journals and knew what she was experiencing as she wrote each book, um, I could pick out, you know, the the things, the darker things that she was expressing. And in, in fact, her later books do in a way get darker, you know, as she, as she brings in certain things. So they, they were an outlet for her. The main theme of the show was um, the power of the imagination or law of attraction as, as, um, as it's usually called, um, because, you know, you can see she was, she was determined to create something, you know, from, you know, the passion that she had inside the, and, and that created Anne of Green Gables. But then there were other things in, in later in her life where she kept, you know, focusing on how bad things were and things just kept getting worse. So there, so there was that too. And then the, I guess the third thing that I think we had a part in um, bringing to the public consciousness and it wasn't intentional. It was just, it was part of the, it was in the journals is that she either purposely or, or inadvertently um, took her own life. And um, that was something that we had put in the show, but I guess at the time it wasn't, really public knowledge. And so after, after the show, um, a few months later, um, the heirs of Ella Montgomery, there, there was a, a story that came out, um, you know, admitting that this is, this is, you know, what happened. And I don't know, it was just something that, um, I, it wasn't meant to be, you know, sensational or anything like that. It was that this was her experience. And I felt like that, she would have wanted people to know what she was actually going through instead of what people envisioned her life as being. Because, you know, uh, when when you're successful and, you know, you're putting out a consistent stream of, of you know, creative works, you know, people get their own vision of what your life must be like, but and they don't realize what you're... And an yeah, they don't realize what you're actually going through, whether it's self-inflicted or not. So... Um, that was and people don't like to talk about that. And especially no, back no, in that don't. era, I remember reading and I studied also more so than the, you know, the Anne of Green Gables works. I wanted to know more about her and particularly around that time that you were also doing this. So I was really fascinated by it. And she, how do I put this delicately? She did lead a bit of a dark life. Now, even through childhood, coming here, living with the, what was it, her grandparents or aunt and uncle? It wasn't, her grandparents, um, yeah, yeah, wasn't always pleasant. And she was kind of, uh, you know, different for her time because she was a free thinking, intelligent woman, you know, who lived in a time where she perhaps the expectation that she would just marry and have children and be somebody's exactly. wife. And then I read also, even after she got married, she went through some really dark periods because I believe her husband moved her from Prince Edward Island. I want to say to Toronto, but I'm not entirely sure uh, about they, that. Eventually, eventually Toronto, but it was, let's say, where did they go first? It was, it was uh, Leaskdale. 
in Ontario and then, and then Norville and then Toronto. But yeah, he, he uh, was a, a minister and a Presbyterian minister and he got a, a call, um, you know, to preach in Ontario. And so um, right after they married, she left and she didn't want to. No, she was very unhappy. And she wrote about that. And in fact, other than the Anne and Green Gables, I've read some things that she's written. I don't know if it was poetry, uh, where she expressed that feeling, how forlorn she was, and she looked forward to the day of running in the fields. And eventually they did come back. But I don't think it was, I think it was later rather than sooner. And I think they came back for visits. For, they didn't, okay. they didn't I thought actually, maybe they, yeah, they didn't actually back. move back. Yeah. Okay. And so I don't think her mood improved. And I think actually it really began deteriorating her. And I think you could see a, a little bit of that in the progression of her books uh, reflective in her writing. You uh, can. And that's what I thought was so interesting was that she, act, even though she, she was determined she was going to keep this bright face to the world and, and through her books, it did seep in like if you um magic for marigold for example it's about this six-year-old girl you know she's talking about how disillusioned she is and and it's like that's kind of heavy for you know a six-year-old yeah but she was recognizing it yes and and able to express it unfortunately again and i think it was the time that she lived in i think things would be very different for her today oh absolutely absolutely so getting back to the play, it ran, was it the summer of 08 at King's Playhouse? Yes. Okay. Yes, King's Playhouse in 2008, and then we had it um, the next year, 2009, at the Car 4. Okay. I was about to ask you, did you take it on the road as well? <laughs> well <laughs> so I guess that's as close to taking it on the road as we well, could, yeah. Well, that is up the road, so that qualifies. And so from that production, your journey took you along to another path. Uh, you want to tell us about that journey? Oh, geez. It depends on which path we're talking about. Well, right after, we'll say after the play. What what was what did you do then? What was your journey then? Oh, um, well, let's see. After that, gosh, creatively, uh, well, I mean, I, I, I was desperate to do anything that wasn't Maude. <laughs> Just because, like Maude herself, you know, having to write, you know, um, she didn't really want to write the other Anne books. You know, she, she did that because... Contractually. <laughs> Yeah, contractually and because it was expected and, you know, stuff like that. And I was just, I had rewritten Nine Lives a lot because there was just a lot of finessing that needed to be done and mostly it needed to be shorter. <laughs> did, and, did you, you find, know, we, Adam, that it, that some of learning about her and, like I said, uh, the... It's been a while, but from what I read, it, it was it was really difficult for me even to read this about another human being. And, you know, she really had some dark, dark times. Uh, did it get inside your head at, at any point when you were writing this and expressing it? I mean, did 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 you uh, did you cross over into that area? Yes, um, but only because um, I've experienced my own dark times. Um, in childhood and, and in adulthood. And so I, I felt like, so, so when I was reading about it, it, it didn't affect me in the, in the way that it might affect other people in that it was shocking to them. To me, it was like, oh, I can, I can relate to this feeling. And, um, and I felt like maybe she might've picked me to write about her just because there were certain things like I could, that I could relate to and be able to bring forward um, to let people know the full, the full um, breadth of her 
journey. But I think the big thing too to to take away from that is that even though she was experiencing a lot of darkness and she brought a lot of her darkness onto herself, you know, by by her it's not that she didn't have things to be depressed about. Uh it's that she got stuck in in this loop of you know negativity but even though she did that she still created all these books and all these characters and all these wonderful stories that we remember and, and that we talk about and and that's important because that's not easy to do no and it could have been her saving grace yeah i think it was you know i mean to have that outlet and express it at a, and again you know we're talking about a time where mental health was not something talked about uh, actually right. very well hidden. And if you're a woman, well, in some parts of the world, you even got burned at the stake. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I mean, the woman was brave. You know, sometimes people say, who are the 10 people you would love to talk to today? She would be one of them. I think yeah, I, would have to agree. I think I would like to like meet her at a Starbucks or a Tim's and go, <laughs> hey, look at what we've evolved to. And hey, come live with us now. And let's create right? more. So uh, I did not know about the potential of her taking her own life until you just mentioned it. Uh, mm. I think it was alluded to in, in what I was reading. But again, never, you know, easier to not discuss, I guess. Or oh, to, Of course. And, uh, and in her journals, you know, especially in the, in the last one, you know, there are many, many references to, you know, death would be so welcome what a relief it would be, you know? So, it, I mean, it was on her mind. Whether or not she did it on purpose, I don't know for sure. I do know that, again, as you say, mental illness was not really, you know, something that was really understood then, nor was treatment of it. So, you know, they were giving her barbiturates and stuff, you know, oh, really, really addictive, right. potent right. things. And, and they weren't doing it like the way we think of barbiturates now, it, it was meant to help. It was, you know, it was, it was like giving someone Prozac today. So, um, you know, she was on all this medication and it's very possible that she might've, you know, mixed something together that she shouldn't have or taking an amount that she shouldn't have. So, you know, it, it's whether or not she purposely took her life, I, I can't say, but I do know that she was, that the mindset was there. And perhaps she lost the will to live. You know, back yeah. in that day, it was not uncommon for women to be institutionalized. If That's they right. showed the slightest, well, I'm going to sound very feminist here, but even the slightest bit of creativity, let alone any type of individual voice or opinion oh, yeah. or decision making. And it was very common even for women going through menopause to be institutionalized because they were considered to have gone crazy or to have lost their minds. So that's right. Um, that's right. It's very patriarchal. Not, very. not that it still isn't patriarchal, but why do you think she went by L.M. Montgomery instead of just saying her name? Because women authors? Ooh, we can't have that. Oh, well, look at Karen Blixen went by uh, Isak Dunnison to publish. Mm. Uh, out of Africa and so much of her work she was a writer but she couldn't get published under Karen Blixen she had to go under a non de plume so, right yeah uh, I, I think I think E.E. E. Cummings is another example I think yeah it just wasn't done yet yeah heaven forfend you were a woman and you were you know putting out creative work that that was a that was a man's thing you weren't supposed to do that I'm not even sure if it was a man's thing because then there would be all those ties to 
hey, you know, uh, let's go hunting or something. I don't know. But I think. <laughs> yeah, there is that okay, too, yeah. I think safe to say I believe society has evolved into a cultural one. Uh, that there's a good sector for arts and culture now. It's recognized. It's not it's gender better, based, yes. and I think I think things are improving. All you know, eventually, I guess we'll get it perfect. And I don't know. I'm going to be cynical here. Then it'll be time to blow up the world. I don't know. Well, Once we get it I mean, let's face it. We're we're in a little bit of a backslide in my home country. Well, but yes. um, I think sometimes you know, um, the more you grow, I mean, just on a collective consciousness level, if I, if I, you know, not sounding too pretentious, I think that the more you grow, the more like, you know, negativity tries to keep you from growing. So it's kind of a two steps forward, one step back thing. And I think we're in the one step back phase right now. Yes, I think so. But I don't think we're going way back. And no, I don't know. For me, I, I, you know, it's what gets my legs out of bed in the morning. I look to the, to the youth and to the, to the youth that will be our future. And they seem to have it a little bit, I don't know, a little bit better than we did. Not better in terms of, yes, there are more opportunities, but their their heads are better. They're more involved. I mean, I think, you know, with being plugged into social media and the Internet and all that, they're aware of things, you know, I know four and five year olds that you can actually sit down and have a discussion with about current events as opposed to, say, older people that don't use the Internet or don't want to watch the news. So I guess my hope is the youth for the future. That's, no, that's uh, a good focus. I, and I think you're right. I think that that younger folks actually are more kind of in, in tune and and more, um, dare I say, progressive, um, just, you know, realizing that they're there are different ways of thinking and different ways of being and, and different cultures and, you know, different nationalities and that, that we're, we're all one really. Well, I think if we can evolve to that, then we're doing good. Hey, I think we're making some strides. I mean, people are more so. aware of the environment. They're more aware of insensitivities, sometimes a little bit too much, but uh, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll find a balance somewhere. Okay. When we come back, we are going to uh, focus on what led you to uh, spend your time in developing a podcast. We'll be right back with Adam Michael James. We'll be back with more of Something to Talk About here on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. This is Gordon Belcher. I listen to Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. He was stranded in some tiny town on fair Prince Edward Island, waiting for a ship to come and find him. A one-horse place, a smiling face, some coffee and a tiny trace A fiddling in the distance far behind him A dime across the counter then, a shy hello, brand new friend They walked along the street in the wintry weather A yellow light, an open door and a welcome friend There's room for more, now they're standing there inside together He said, I've heard that tune somewhere before it, but I can't remember when was it on some other friendly shore? Did I hear it on the wind? Was it written in the sky above? I think I heard it from someone I love. 
Inside him went it off across the floor He sent his clumsy body graceful as a child He said there's magic in the fiddler's arm There's magic in this town Magic in the dancers' feet and the way they put them down People smiling everywhere Boots and ribbons, locks of hair Laughter and old blue suits and Easter gowns Yes sir! Someone's hat's left hanging on the rack Empty chairs, a wooden floor That feels a touch of shoes No more waiting for the dancers to come back And the fiddle's in the closet Of some daughter of the town The strings are broken, the bow is gone And the cover's buttoned down Sometimes on December nights When the air is cold and the wind is right There's a melody that passes through this town Here it is to catch the full interview with Gordon Belcher as he talks about his lifelong career in the music industry in our original and encore production of Something to Talk About right here on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island, of course. You're listening to Something to Talk About on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. James, creator of iTunes podcast. And when we left off, we were talking, we were really focusing on uh, your work writing Nine Lives of Ellen Montgomery. So transition us from there. Once the play was over, 
what was your path after that? Well, as, as I mentioned, I, I had, it was necessary to do so many rewrites of, of the show just to, to hone it and um, shorten it because I was always being asked, you know, I was always being told it was too long. And also in, in just in the aspect of pure theater, you know, we had um, too many cast members. People, when we we're trying to get it in other shows, they were like, how many are in the cast? How many are in the cast? And we would tell them like, you know, 22 and they're like, oh, well, no, we only want to do shows that have like five people in it, you know, things like that. So there were a lot of rewrites and I was, I was, you know, are you telling me directors or theater people said this theater to Theater people, yeah. And, and, and they were always wanting to do, you know, the tried and true shows, you know, oh, we're going to do guys and dolls. We don't want to take on anything new. And, you know, so there was, there was, you know, that frustration too. And I just really wanted to do something different for a while and, and put the, the script aside and then come back to it. And what I ended up doing, because my first love was Bewitched, for those who may not remember that, it's a, a sitcom from the 60s and 70s about Adam, a suburban... Adam, yes, you are now divulging our, our age or our... our uh... <laughs> <laughs> where we grew up watching but uh yeah the little twitch I, I think every girl tried to do the twitch and it was always something did. that we yeah i think it was something that we thought when we grew up that's how we were going to run our households and uh, i mean endora who could not love endora the oh mother? yeah exactly yeah. and i i'd loved the show since i was a a child and and you know i used to i used to um put a cassette recorder in front of the in front of the TV, you know, when it would come on and reruns and record the show, and you know, I would listen to them over and over, and you know, so I was I was intimately aware of the show. And as it started coming out on on DVD, and you could actually watch them, you know, starting with one and going, you know, I started noticing just little continuity things, and you know, you have to keep it in a historical context too, because back then a, a show might run once during a season maybe it would rerun during the summer and that was it it wasn't like now where you could like i said dvds or streaming and and look at stuff you know binge watching back to back and so they were they knew they didn't have to pay attention to certain levels of detail but th when i started watching the dvds and noticing hey wait a minute in this episode it says one a witch can't undo another witch's spell but then in this episode, it says you can. So what's up with that? And so I started looking at the show through that lens and taking notes. And, and that led to my book, The Bewitched Continuum, which explores the continuity of, you know, all 254 episodes and kind of breaks things down and compares things and contrasts things. And it, and it's all in fun. It's not meant to be critical. It's, no, it's but just, you, oh, you have to admit, once you get into continuity, doesn't it become a little bit of an obsession? I used to yes. do that as a living, you know, as part of, you know, the, the part of the day jobs. And I cannot find, I cannot watch anything now or read anything where I don't find a lack of continuity. Yeah, I'm terrible to watch things with because I'm the guy that will notice in a commercial that, you know, the girl had cream in her coffee in one shot, but not in another. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah. would be lack it's of continuity because that's actually a job. As you know, you have to sit there it and is, go frame yes. by frame. Same thing that's with right. audio. So a lot of people don't know that. I think a lot of people still think that naivete that we had as a child, that when you go to the movies, it happens just like that in that sequence until you go to film school and you realize it's all on the cutting floor and you know the magic of putting it together. Uh-huh. And then logging Yeah, and I did a lot of um, background acting in, in L.A. when I was trying to get into show business. 
And, you know, just kind of, for me, I think the most educational part of it was just watching how things were made. I mean, when, when the other extras were, you know, sitting in the holding area and eating the free food, you know, I was, I was kind of looking at, you know, them setting up the cameras for a new angle and pulling scripts out of the garbage can so I could see, you know, what the scene was about and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, yeah. When I think it's the distinct difference between people that have passion about what they do and those that just do it for money. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. you know, you stay late, you come early, you stay late and, you know, you do and you learn. And it's it's a it's a fabulous way of life. Not real conducive to family life, but. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way to spend the you know your the joy of your passion yeah yeah so so with bewitched that's what i did i sat down and i i wrote a 600 page book about you know how how the episodes connect to each other or don't connect to each other and taking count of things like how many times Endora called darren durwood and episode samantha didn't use her powers you know things like that i have a question for you it's a trivia question how many Darrens were there? Two. That's right, two. Yes. Yes. And and they didn't even really explain it. <laughs> no, they, no. They, they and didn't I suppose make Darren number one like go away or them get divorced or him die. Then all of a sudden, like with the next season, there was this new Darren unexplained, and That's right. and Endora still you know, treated him the same way. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, I consider that to be the the soap opera model of casting because they're on soaps. Um, there's always recasts without explanations, and I think that it didn't bother me. But you know, there's still people. 50, that was in 1969, and and you know, 54 years later, people are still arguing about which Darren they like better, and. And I'm like, they both played the same. It's the same character. It's the same you know? character. They actually almost looked alike. I mean, if you weren't sharp, you might think, oh, he just changed. But they did it. You know, it was, he was similar. And the character there was, a was similarity. exactly yeah. alike. Exactly. And and the the characterization was a little different. But Darren, I, I, I read this. I have this one book from the guy who actually wrote my forward, Herbie J. Pilato, and he wrote this book called The Bewitched Book. And he he was lucky enough that he got to interview Elizabeth Montgomery. And, you know, even she said, you know, Darren, the character was evolving anyway. He was he was becoming a little less freaked out by the witchcraft. And, you know, so I think I think a lot of the characterization would have happened whether Dick York stayed in the part or not. But yeah, you know, when you say the witch part, it, you know, I was raised Polish Catholic and we were allowed to watch it so it wasn't really <laughs> witchcraft as much as uh, i don't know what the you know what the moniker was or what the genre was that they were trying to convey i mean in terms of being it was very acceptable it's not like watch watching good witch or some show that's on today that focuses on you know the occult it was more about everyday life and this incredible woman with superpowers and you know, every little girl wanted to be like her because who wouldn't want to just twitch your nose and get your house cleaned? Yeah. Or get was, rid of, it was, you know. Yeah, it wasn't really the, you know, the double-double and bubble kind of thing. Right. It, it was more just magic than than ritual. I mean, there was a little, in the early episodes, there was, the, the, the magic was a little more ritualistic, but they kind of dropped that as it went along. And I think that's why it worked because it was more relatable. And except for Andorra's uh, entrances with the smoke at times, she, I love the way, in fact, I dress very similar to her, so now, <laughs> so I love to, you know, that was, it's amazing the things that will influence us. Now, you wrote, how many books about this? 
Four. Well, after the Bewitch Continuum, um, rather even in it, I had come up with a an idea for a series finale because back then they didn't really do series finales and Bewitched just ended on a, rep- a regular episode. And so I thought, well, if I was going to wrap things up the way that we do now, this is how I would do it. And it was just a few paragraphs. And about uh, three years after the first book came out, I got it into my head. You know, I bet, you know, I would, I'd be sitting in the bathtub and the ideas would come to me. And I thought, you know, maybe I better write this down. And so I ended up novelizing that original idea. And, and that book is called I, Samantha, Take This Mortal Darren, which is a flip on the first episode, which is called I, Darren, Take This Witch, Samantha. And I, I wrote out what my conceived series finale was and and you know then a few years later i had more ideas that what if i continue this on <laughs> so um and that book was samantha's 70s and and that took the show kind of you know through the the end of that decade and and my ideas for for what you know might have happened as the children grew up and as darren got older and had to start facing his mortality and and the general themes of tolerance and acceptance that the show had originally and building on those you know and then and then last year uh i decided to put out a, a second edition of the bewitch continuum which is the bewitch continuum in living color because the original book was all black and white and you know i was finally able to put out a color version but i added some extra stuff like um there's a whole section on the tabitha spinoff and I was able to put color pictures finally, and then I was also put able to put in the spell guide that I had to cut out of the original for length. So, yeah. Now, so who, who, uh, who was your publisher on these books? Was it the same publisher? Me. Okay, so self-published. Yep. And so people can get your books in bookstores online? Uh, I think Bookmark might still have a few copies, but yeah, definitely Amazon. Isn't that great? So they can get the digitized version or the book. Yeah, yeah, there are there are ebook versions of the first three, yeah. And here's where you give yourself a little plug. Tell us the names of the books. Okay. The first one is The Bewitched Continuum. Um, then the fiction books are I Samantha Take This Mortal Darren and Samantha's Seventies. And then the updated um version of The Bewitched Continuum is The Bewitched Continuum in Living Color. That's the only one that's not available digi- digitally yet. Okay, so there you have it. And you can get that on Amazon and in what was the name of the bookstore? Uh, Bookmark sh- should still have a few copies. And did you go around and do readings and lectures on it and promote it? Uh, yes, but not not so much here on the island. Although I did do a, a, a you know a couple of things, but um, I was very lucky. Uh, I did a lot of stuff online, and I've been part of um this this group called um Bewitched Fanfare. Uh, for several years they they put on bewitched events in different cities and that was actually how i was able to to make the announcement of the first book was on the 50th anniversary of the first episode um in 2014 and it's uh, through them i just not only the publicity for the book being able to get it to other bewitched fans but just the people and making friends and, you know, all of us staying in touch with each other and then meeting up in different places. You know, uh, there's supposed to be another another coven, as it was, uh, for the 60th anniversary next year. So I'll be going to that, too. And where would that be held? I think it's going to be in Los Angeles. Most likely. So have you thought about doing a reboot, pitching your idea to the powers that be, or even self-producing something that would 
take Bewitched into from where it left off into the into now now into the 21st century? Have you thought? I about haven't that? thought about it personally, just because I don't. I don't think you could. It, well, I mean, obviously, you, you know, pretty much everybody's gone, <laughs> um, except for the actors who played Tabitha and Adam. Well, that's what I'm um, saying. Maybe take it, you know, do a retro, and then you know, bring out aspects of the book. Uh, yes, you wouldn't have the same care, you know, the same players, but you know, you could use other actors. I mean, that's done, or take it from the perspective of Tabitha looking backwards and then using footage or something. I just think it would be really interesting. And it just seems that you've done so much research and you've got such a passion about it that it would just seem, I'm putting the idea in your head, Adam, for the next project. You understand (laughs) that I'm I'm planting the seed. (laughs) You're not the only one to think that they've been trying to do a reboot for years. Um, There's been since, since my book came out in 2014, there's been like four, maybe five, ideas that, that 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 have come out it's like well sony is gonna gonna do a you know reboot of bewitched and it's gonna be this but then it never develops in anything and i i have to admit i'm i'm always kind of glad that it doesn't <laughs> yeah. just because i i you know what you know how reboots are i mean they're oh they're uh, usually... you know very few sequels or reboots are quality or appreciated exactly yeah and that's the thing it's like i'd, I'd almost rather it was left the way it was. And then, you know, if, in terms of my books, you know, if, if people want to, you know, read my interpretation of what a future story might be, that's great. And, and they can picture the characters in their heads and, you know, rather than, you know, watch other actors. I don't know that I, well, I, I mean, it's been so long. I know people in my age group would rather not see other people playing the characters. Maybe, you know, um, younger folks, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't mind it so much, but like, I never, there was a, there was a reboot movie in in 2005 and I've still not seen it for that reason. Of Bewitched? Yeah. Really? I, in what year? 2005, it was with Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman and it was really kind of a, a, oh Oh, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, right. and I never saw it. I refused. Uh, I think I saw parts of it, and you know, <laughs> and and you know, it just uh, aren't we happy that we don't have those things in our lives to bog us down, right? I mean, we're enjoying what yeah. we're doing. All right, we're going to take a, a, a one short break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the podcast. So we'll be right back with Adam Michael James on something to talk about. Day children, this is Nana Anna. Be sure to tune in to Storytime with Nana Anna, where I'll be reading The Adventures of Koopa the Field Mouse, a dandy story written by local author Joan Doucette, right here on Island Waves. And you can get your very own copy of The Adventures of Koopa the Field Mouse at Barnes & Noble. Also on Amazon, at your local home hardware, twice upon a bookstore in Montague, and Cooper's Red and White in beautiful downtown Belfast. So, get out and support your local author, and tune in to Storytime with Nana Anna, right here on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island.
We're back with Adam Michael James, and we are going to uh, move forward to see what led you to spend your time developing a podcast. What was your impetus there? Tell us all about it. First of all, the name of the podcast is? Altunes. Tell us about Altunes. Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, well, basically what Altunes is, is I uh, play only music created by Prince Edward Island artists, uh, either people who live, who are, you know, from here or have moved here and, and make PEI their home or, you know, were born here, but moved someplace else. You know, those are kind of my criteria, as long as there's a, a link to PEI. It started because uh, one of the things I do now is I produce charlottetown islander hockey games at max 93.1 i got that gig because i wanted to get back into radio and it it had been like 20 years since i'd done it and the technology had changed and so back when the games were over at ocean they were like well here why don't you you know produce these games and that'll help you you know get caught up on on the technology and you know we'll, we'll go from there and then the the games moved over to to max 93 but um okay now max when you say a, they moved you're talking about the 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 color and the play-by-play is that what you're talking about or, yes okay yeah but you're doing yeah, that did, in studio or on site um in studio okay yeah i i bring in the um the the um the play-by-play and the color uh, the audio feed and and the rink noise and what have you and I, I bring that in and I I broadcast that and then I you know plug commercials around it and you know the, the other elements that have to happen so um so yeah so um, Max got a new man a new general manager and I was like well you know I've done voice work too and you know he wanted to hear a demo and I, you know so I I gave him some stuff and he came back to me later and said, I have this idea for this show that, that would play, you know, just, you know, um, Prince Edward Island musicians. And I, you know, I think you would be, you know, the right person to host it. And I thought, Oh my God, this is great. And um, the only thing was, you know, it needed to be approved by the higher ups um, off Island. So um, I, I kind of got together my ideas for what I wanted to do and started doing research and, you know, looking up, you know, artists and, you know, things like that. And so I had this whole presentation mapped out and I, I, uh, the guy came, you know, to PEI and I sat down with him and I said, this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to do it. And, and, you know, he really, you know, was kind of, you know, bowled over by what I presented, but then it turned out that the, they didn't want to do it. So here I was, you know, uh, kind of sitting here with all this prep work that I had done. And a friend of mine said, um, Mary of McGregor, by the way, we'll give her her props. And she said, you should do this as a podcast. And at first I was like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then two days later, I was like, okay, let's start exploring this and, and see if this is even possible for me to do. And that's how it, it started to grow. And I've spent, um, you know, the early parts of the summer emailing constantly you know artists and uh, because i wanted to, I, I i like to get their permission to play their music um that's what i was advised to do by a music publishing company and um there's also so can stuff and you know all that kind of technical stuff but i like to contact the artists and and make sure it's okay that i'm playing their stuff and also it lets them know that their stuff is going to be played so now do you get you know, any pushback from the platform about playing uh, the artist's music are, are you on no, spotify no. No, are you, well, hosted, podcast, are you hosted through Spotify? 
Uh, the, the podcast does get distributed to Spotify. I actually use a, a distribution service called RSS, and I upload it to them, and that gets distributed to Spotify and Apple and, and Google and you know Amazon and stuff like that. Right. And, and they're not giving you no, any pushback I, about the music? No. Okay, good. No, good. I never have. I, I don't play something unless the artist has specifically told me, yeah, you can play it, unless you know they're, they're deceased. You know, or stuff like that. Well, if they're deceased, and, do they do they still have the rights to it and it becomes public domain? How does that work? No, I don't think it's public domain, but I just don't know who's going to... Uh, it, especially because most island artists are, are not through major labels. You know, a, a, a lot of it is, is you know, self-released. So right. I think that, especially the older stuff, I mean, you know, if they did go through a label, most likely it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Or so, they're self-published I mean, labels. A lot yeah, of them so have their who, own studios. Yeah. yeah. So if they're deceased, who am I even going to contact to ask permission for? So there are certain... Because I like to play older stuff, you know, and by older, I mean, you know, the 70s. You know, I, I'd love to go back further, but it's, it's well, just it's hard nice to giving music. recognition to those artists as well, who That's did right. not necessarily have that ability or platform. I mean, even some of the big country stars... Uh, like Patsy Cline, and she and her husband drove around in their car, sleeping in the car from radio station to radio station, bringing their forty-five so to see if they could get airplay. Yeah, interesting, you know. And now we have instant capability. You put it out there, and within minutes, you know, people all over the world can hear it. So it's it's really interesting. Now, the radio station that you referred to was that Ocean. Oh, the, the, the games started on Ocean, but we moved to Max 93, which is where I am now. Max 93, that used to be CHTN, didn't it? CFCY and, and CFCY, Max yes. are in the same building. Okay, yeah. they changed it. It used to be Magic 93. That's right. Yeah, yeah. our good friend Paul Allen the games, worked there. Yeah. yeah, and even when I started the games, it was Q93, so yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of cookie-cutter stuff. Cookie-cutter stuff. I guess, uh, well, no concern to either one of us, because it won't affect us in any way. But I guess we'll, at some point, it'll be AI bots that'll be running it. I feel like, you know, radio should be, because, I mean, now you've you got all the streaming services where you can play whatever you want. And, you know, of course, you know, we've had MP, MP3 players for, you know, forever. And you would think that terrestrial radio would be working to be competitive and play different stuff than you know instead of just playing the same 20 songs over and over and homogenizing it you know the way the way that we were talking about but that's just not the model that they're going with so well you know, I, whatever, I notice but... i noticed some of the programming like uh that you might hear on on the weekend uh there's a guy bill st james you know he's just yes. phoning it in he's phoning it in. <clears throat> he's not even sitting there i would i would venture to say He's just phoning it in and he's reading a script. He's got some, you know, good where he does his voice over the music. I think it's tight, but that's probably somebody in, in a production room doing that. But, you know, some of the retro shows are good. There there are good music out there, but I don't think we're getting the local flavor anymore. No. And I think that's where it ties in. And correct me if I'm wrong, wouldn't that have been sort of, I know the seed was planted for you to do the, the focus, the PEI focus podcast on, on the artists and, and PEI. So I know that a lot of that focus that we just talked about, the, the focus on the local artists, the local uh, broadcasters such as yourself, that had have been 
your goal in producing iTunes then because you're giving a forum to local artists, but you're also doing it live. It's not somebody phoning it in like Bill St. James. Not that there's anything wrong with Bill St. James, but Adam Michael James, somebody that they know walking around that they've maybe worked with or or saw on the street or maybe you've worked in clubs as well with artists. So I think there's a familiarity and it brings it back to what radio was all about yeah i mean like i said just being able to to give pei artists that outlet is is great and yeah i mean granted i mean the podcast itself isn't live i do pre-record it but i i get to pick out all the music i pick out themes and you know pair stuff together or con- contrast things and try to give you know um not play the same artist you know within a couple of months of each other and, you know, stuff like that and just shake it up a little bit every week. And, you know, I, I, I'll go and I, you know, I, I write the whole script myself. You know, I, it takes me a couple few hours. To, I do, I research each artist and, and try to come up with something to talk about, uh, uh, you know, uh, how they came up with the song or how they developed their band or, you know, um, that kind of thing. So that there's something interesting to go along with each song and, you know, not just, you know, like a lot of radio now where they go, did you know that the penguin, you know, does and like, no, no, I want it all to be about the music and the artists. And so, yeah, so that I feel like gives it more of a local personal flavor. And then I also, when I can do a segment called this week in PEI history, where I take a couple of minutes and whatever, if I've been able to find stuff that happened historically within the week that i'm doing a show for i will i will mention you know you know on on this date in 1886 you know this happened and and usually i add a little something humorous at the end of it just to you know so it's not you know straight up boring history (laughs) no and that's i think that's very informative and i think there's an audience for that here now speaking of audience do you you mentioned that well live to tape as they like to say now which is tape but uh live recorded so do you have interaction with your audience uh can people call in or do they write in or do they send questions to you and then you acknowledge them by talking about them on air so to speak I haven't gotten that so much yet. Um, the podcast is uh, three months old as of Monday, so you well, know, it's happy still fairly birthday. new. <laughs> Thank you. Congratulations! <laughs> Don't forget to blow out the candles. Yep, yeah, we're going into episode fifteen this weekend. You know, but I certainly do invite people to to um, you know email in or or phone in or comment, and I do get some comments. I, I haven't actually gotten any questions yet but i do invite people to record island phrases you know things that that are specific to the island and i always start the show with one of them yeah exactly Uh stuff like that and um you know sometimes i've just had friends record them but i have actually had a couple people you know record stuff and send that in and and uh, i just feel like that adds a little more flavor to it too instead of just starting cold so um yeah and i always 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 announce upcoming gigs so that people know who's playing where and that helps i feel um for exposure for the artist too no i think it's excellent and i'm sure the artists really appreciate having this forum and platform to uh, be able to you know let people know what they're doing and give them a spot that they're not going to get 
on either AM if it still exists or yeah. FM or FM radio. So I think this is really great. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. This may be a little hard hitting, but how are you doing this? Are you bootstrapping it as a labor of love? Or are you monetizing this through funding and subscriptions? You know, how how is it working I mean, I know you love it. You can you can hear that. But, you know, how do we support our habits or do you still have your day job? What <laughs> pumping, well, I, I pumping gas at the USO during the day. And, yeah, there you go. <laughs> with a microphone in hand. <laughs> Cape Crusader at night. Well, there's always somebody to interview. So that's microphone good. in hand, pumping the other. No. Oh, I um you know, I, I do have, you know, the um the hockey games, the broadcast and other other things, you know, the book sales and I write for a soap opera website and different videography projects you know so there's um right now i am you know pretty much funding it myself i did have an indiegogo campaign uh, that that uh, i got some donations through and and currently i do have a, a patreon channel uh, that people can subscribe five dollars a month and and uh, help support the show patreon.com slash altunes by the way and um so what how does I that do work is- how does that work Patreon. How does that work? Yeah. So, in other words, in order to listen, they have to be a subscriber, or can they just? Oh no, 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 oh, no. Oh, okay. you, you don't have to be a subscriber to listen. It's just that if you want to support the show, you can go over to to Patreon and and you know donate five dollars a month. And and what I put on there is because I I also interview the artists if they have an album out or if there's a gig coming up or you know stuff like that. And you know, as you know. Um, things get edited for time because I, I try to keep the podcast approximately an hour. and But the interviews always go longer than that. So for Patreon, I, I put the full expanded videos on, but they're video interviews, you know, that, that part gets filmed. So there's always like longer, you know, 15, 20, 45 minutes. I had one artist, you know, that we went on for 45 minutes on, on Patreon. And so that's part of the subscription only content. And, and I also sometimes record live performances. Um, and so those are exclusive videos that go on there too. So, so um, people can subscribe that way. Yes. It, ultimately I do want to monetize it. Um, as I said, the the podcast is still finding its footing and it's still finding its audience. And from what I understand, you have to get to a certain point before you can actively pursue sponsors. But that is the next step. Yeah. Well, that's good. And and this is you built the studio yourself, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, I'm very lucky. I, I have I live in a two bedroom duplex with a full basement and I already had a green screen from when I, you know, uh, would film some of my music videos and, and some of the promotional videos I do for my bewitched books, because that helps, you know, I can, I can perform witchcraft quote unquote, you know, um, you know, through the camera trickery and the green screen and, and stuff like that. And so I had that. So I just had to, um, grab some decent microphones and, um, I just basically, it's very, um, I always joke when I'm with the artist, you know, welcome to the Altoon studio, also known as my basement. You know, sometimes the furnace comes on in the middle of while we're recording stuff, whatever, I just leave it. And, um, yeah, I, I turned the basement into, into a little studio and then I like the acoustics better, um, for, actually recording the the voiceover stuff for that podcast itself in my living room so you know i'll just take the microphone up you know up here in the in the living room and and do it from here but um yeah i mean it's 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 uh bare bones but it works and um 
yeah, I, I just, I just, um, I, I'm glad I at least have that to be able to record stuff every week and have it sound decent. And Not to mention, I, listen to good music and listen to good music and maybe discover, either discover artists you didn't know existed or go, oh my God, I remember this band. I haven't, you know, heard of them since, you know, whatever. And, um, yeah, it's just it's just amazing. And and what amazed me again, you know, not being from here, is just how robust the music scene is here. Isn't I mean, I had incredible? no idea. I had no idea of the breadth of it. I mean, when you, if you're an outsider and you know the barest bones about PEI, and you come here, and you think of music, you're thinking of the Kayleys and you're thinking of the fiddles, and maybe you're thinking of the rock band, and that those are all awesome. And we certainly have a, a plethora of those, but we also have a, a big hip hop scene. You know, there's a, a ton of punk artists. You know, we there's there's um, a growing kind of funk genre happening here. There's just all kinds of stuff. I I, I met a, a classical guitarist who moved here from Vietnam, and he's amazing. You know, it so it, it's it's amazing and exciting to see such a strong representation of arts and culture and artists and that was the thing that I learned when I landed here uh, over 20 years ago was it's a it's a mecca it's uh, for just wonderful artistry and incredible talent singing dancing performing playing music there's just no shortage and two things I think that has promoted PEI as uh, catching the eye of the rest of the world was how we sailed through especially the first two years of COVID and the fact that we do have such a multicultural offering here unfortunately the cat's out of the bag and people now are coming that's true but then on the other hand the, the more people that come the more diverse your culture becomes I mean, Absolutely. there's a there seems to be a, a growing Middle Eastern population here, and I'm sure they must they must produce music. And I'd love to I'd love to be able to play it. That, that's the thing is I I wanted um, and I and this was from the very beginning when it was an idea for the for the radio station is that I wanted the podcast to be as diverse musically as possible, and um, I, I would like it to be more so. Um, you know, I. I certainly have a lot of feelers out and there's only so much time and energy in a day to follow up with everybody, you know, and everybody has, you know, their lives and stuff, but I want to get more black and Francophone and Mi'kmaq and LGBTQ artists. I want to get more stuff from, you know, 20th century, you know, from the eighties and the seventies. I, I know there's, there was stuff, there had to have been stuff recorded in the forties and fifties. It's got to be here. Um, nice. It's it's incredible because these things, as you say, they exist. It's just whose basement or whose attic or whose hope chest are they in? And exactly, it's got to be here someplace. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and that that would be fantastic. We're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to find out what's on the horizon for Adam Michael James, and uh, look into his crystal ball. We'll be right back with Adam Michael James on something to talk about on Island Waves. We'll be back with more of Something to Talk About here on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island.
On behalf of all of us here at Island Waves, we wish you and yours a very happy holiday season, joyous and festive, and healthy New Year. Merry Christmas, Feliz Navidad, Joyeux Noël, Vesolech Vient, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa. No matter how you say it, no matter how you celebrate it, you have yourself a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. And we will see you right here on Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. And we're back with Adam Michael James, and we've been talking about his life's journey and uh, what took him from a young boy growing up in Anchorage, Alaska, all the way up through the States and up here to Prince Edward Island, where he's doing wonderful things. So I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask you, what is on the horizon for Adam Michael James, and what crystal ball vision do you have for yourself and for Altoons? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I've learned as I've gotten older that uh, it, it doesn't do to look too far ahead <laughs> because nothing ever comes out exactly the way you picture it in your head. I do know with Isle Tunes, I, I'm still working to get it to a wider audience. And I think that, you know, I, I think I want Isle Tunes to become a household word on, on PEI, like, you know, the Guardian or Potatoes or, you know, and the Green Gables, stuff like that. Um, so I, I'm definitely working to get more listeners for that. Outside of that, a few years ago, I adapted The Nine Lives of Ella Montgomery as a movie script. And I would personally like to see that done as a film, simply because I think the vision that we had for the theater show was too grandiose for the stage. Um, just in that it covers, you know, 60 years and it, it goes from the inside indoors and outdoors. And, and we've got all the fictional characters coming to life. And I think it works better as a film. So I would love to see that happen. Well, I think um, you have a very good opportunity to do that. We have a, a very strong, as you know, film base sector here. Just, oh, yeah. It just seems win and win. Yeah, I mean, I, even even the Anna Green Gables movie only shot establishing shots on PEI. Everything else was filmed in Ontario. So, yeah, I mean, I would all the all the PEI related stuff in in that I would love to have filmed here. That would be that would be awesome. And um, you know, I I have you know a couple other book ideas, you know, that I'd like to I'd like to see kind of form. And uh, again, I try not to get too far ahead of myself these days, especially, you know, I'm, I'm 54 now. So it's like, I don't want to start thinking 10, 20 years from now. But you have Um, to Adam, because that says you're going to be around here 10, 20 years from now. Oh, I'll be here. Oh, you'll be be here. here. But I really like that idea of it, of, of it progressing into a movie. And I would imagine you would get funding, not even at the blink of an eye uh, for such a project. Yeah, yeah. So this is something in the next year I would like to start pursuing. Of course, I have to, you know, have a a conversation with the the heirs of Ella Montgomery, like like uh, did like we did for the 
the theater show because just like getting permission to play songs on aisle tunes, I, you know, I like to do stuff right, you know, so I like to go behind people's backs or anything. I've always believed it's easier to ask for permission than forgiveness. Other people, most people will say the other way, easier to get forgiveness than permission. I, you know, I, I don't want to say it's an age thing because I've always felt that way. I mean, why invest time or any kind of effort if you're going to be fighting somebody in the end, you know, so easy to get the permission. Sometimes the permission isn't easy and sometimes you get a no. But if you're not the kind of person that takes no very lightly or for an answer, usually you get to that middle ground. Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, you know, going on what you were saying, it's like if you don't with things like this, if you just go ahead with it without asking permissions, like, you know, on a gut level, you've you know done something not right. And I think that will reflect in the project and I think that will reflect in the way the audience receives it and um, you know it, it might all be subconscious but I think that I think that what you put into a project is what people get out of it so including I the attitude right including yeah exactly and if you're I sitting there it, waiting for the other shoe to drop I think it's reflective in your work yeah yeah and, and I, it comes I across yeah, I think so. And so I think when you when you do something like that and you go in kind of with the, with a clean slate, I mean, it, it just frees you up, you know, to to put your best in into what you're doing and, and you know, just not having that that sandbag tied around your ankle, you know. So, yeah, so there's that. And um, there's a there's a short film that um, I've been what's well, kind of been on hold since I started with Altoons because that's kind of, you know, taken over everything. But um, uh, for the last three years, I've been the technical director at the Island Fringe Festival. And there was this one uh, one woman show um, that this woman did that she approached me and um, asked me to um, turn that into a screenplay. So we actually filmed all that um, late last year. And it's just I just haven't had time to to get around to, you know, finishing the, the edits on that. we have some, you know, other post-production stuff we have to do on it, but, um, I'm, that is probably going to, no, that is coming out next year. Well, <laughs> I'm say probably. That I was is going to say, year. I was going to say, you know what they say around here, winter's coming. So all those oh, inside projects <laughs> get finished. Yeah, yeah. Lots of time to sit inside and, and, and work on stuff, you know, as long as the power stays on. And um, yeah, that, that is, a, that is one woman's journey through the, the mental health system. And it's a, it's a short film. It's like a half an hour, but it's, it's fascinating and, and telling and very, you know, sincere and it's just very authentic. And I'm, I'm proud to be working on it. And I, I really, I'm looking forward to that getting out there. So there's that. And, you know, there's always stuff like that. As long as I get a chance to be creative on a, on a, on a mostly daily basis, I know sometimes it isn't, you know, there are days that dishes have to get done and cars have to get taken care of and stuff like or that. Or the admin um, work has to get done. You know, the, admin yeah, work has I to know. Done, well, I always find that 7, when we get into emails, the, yeah. yeah, when you get into the studio and you start creating, that's like, that's the reward of the day. That's the meringue oh, yeah. on the cake or the cherry on the on the uh, Sunday. So, you know, put, putting the headphones on gets you into a state of mind of perfection and where you're supposed to be. So I think that's our rewards. I think so. Yeah. And it never comes, like I said, stuff never comes out the way you picture it, but sometimes it comes out better. And with, you know, voicing the podcast, I try not to aim for too much perfection. Like sometimes if I, if I kind of mush mouth a word or I'll leave it in. Cause it's like, well, this is, it makes it more human 
than if I go back and you know do the whole thing over just for one word. Although I will, there are hard times I've I've done that. Oh yes, but oh yeah, and there will be times I do it again. And sometimes you know I just it looks better on paper than when I try to you know actually say it. And it's like, well, that that's that's a tongue twister. Why did I do that? No, but you know that's the beauty of post production and editing too. So okay, I'm gonna I have one final question that I'd like to uh, ask you. And uh, that's this, Adam Michael James. What would you tell Adam Michael James today when you were age five? What advice would you be giving Adam, young Adam at age five? That what, Adam Michael what James, I... yeah, what, what advice, what would you, what, what advice would you give a young Adam Michael James? Oh, okay. I, I thought, I thought we were talking about the, the five-year-old talking to me today. Okay. No, well, we what could go that, we could go from five. that approach, but no, what would my, Adam Michael James, age 54, advise Adam Michael James of age, age five? What would I tell him? I think I would tell him, always stay true to who you are. Don't give up your creativity. And stay strong. Great advice. Great advice. That kid is going to go through some stuff, and but it's because because I was able to somehow. There's a core within me that somehow never got touched by any of that stuff, and I that's that's helped me to get through to today, and that core still exists, and it's part of who I am. Yeah, if you turned your head or made a decision in any other direction, you wouldn't be the person that you are today. You wouldn't there be standing that. there today and doing what you're doing. So yeah, sometimes, exactly. you know, life is tough. Nobody said it was easy and there's no blueprint for it, but we get through. Yep, exactly. Well, we wish you continued success with the podcast and all your projects and personal pursuits. And one thing for certain, Adam, is you're never, you never know what opportunities are going to come knocking. And you seem to have your finger on the pulse all the time. You have I'm, good I'm working on it. Yeah, <laughs> you're really good. So tell us again. Give us the plug for your podcast. Uh, yes, it's it's Tunes, and it's on Tunes.ca and also on major podcast providers. There are new episodes every Sunday. It's all genres, all decades, all inclusive, and all PEI. All PEI. We've had the pleasure of talking with Adam Michael James today. I hope you've enjoyed our show. Thank you so very much. I can't tell you how much it means to us that you've uh, come on the show and, and talked about your life. And again, I can't reiterate, we wish you continued success. And come back and tell us from time to time or drop me a line and let me know what's going on. And we could always... Uh, shout out what's going on with your life and vice versa and i think we're both here to stay yeah i think so thank you so much for giving me this chance to to tell the island about the podcast and wave on wave on and we'll do it again yeah i'd like that Something to Talk About is a Door in the Floor production in association with Winterlude Studios for Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island. Executive producer and creator, Virginia Winter. Research contributions by Brittany Williams, Tracy Law, and Helen Balms. Audio technical and director assistance, Brittany Williams. Post-production, Winterlude Studios, Prince Edward Island. 
with Master Editing, Virginia Winter. The producers would like to acknowledge and thank all of our participants of our series, Something to Talk About, who generously gave their time to be interviewed and share their lives with us. And to Holland College School of Journalism and Mass Communications, particularly to Brittany Williams and to Lindsay Carroll. Special gratitude of thanks and appreciation to our technical guru and advisor, Dr. Watson Ohms, and to Millie, our loyal canine companion and moral support. Something to talk about is a door in the floor, Winterlude Studio production made possible with support from Prince Edward Island Senior Secretariat and the Winter Foundation for Island Waves, the voice of Prince Edward Island.